ESG Beat, we will speak with Heidi Dubois, an environmental, social, and governance expert with over two decades of experience. Heidi has led innovative ESG initiatives at PepsiCo and BNY Mellon, and also at the Society for Corporate Governance. Today, we will discuss how Heidi advises her clients, which include nonprofit and for-profit entities, to embed ESG into their strategy. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Heidi. Thank you, Amelia. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Heidi, as you've been sheltering in place, you've mm-hmm. recently said that COVID-19 has intensified our focus on what was broken and opened up the possibility for what you call radical thinking. What are some examples of this radical thinking that, you, that you're seeing play out? I've seen a number of changes that have actually really accelerated as a result of the pandemic that we are all suffering through right now. One great example that I've seen is uh, the rapid shift in capabilities of employees from one set of abilities to another in order to respond to changes in both supply chain supply and consumer demand. So take Tyson Foods, for example. They were successfully able to move employees who were focused on production of chicken products for restaurants that come in quite large-scale cuts and packaging over into a more consumer-oriented model, given the rapid and sudden increase in consumer need for smaller family-sized packaging and products that they obtain through their grocery stores. So we often talk in this field about the potential that may lie within existing workforces to retrain into new roles as roles are redefined and changing more quickly. And I think we're seeing some examples of that through this pandemic that demonstrates the ability of business to make change quickly through deploying an existing workforce um, rather than migrating to a completely different population. So that sort of connotes flexibility and resilience being able to pivot business strategies. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you attribute that flexibility to um, companies that resource environmental and uh, social goals? I do. And we've seen also in recent research that companies that are more attuned or take ESG factors into account in building out their business strategy Um, do perform better over the longer term, and companies with stronger ESG programs uh, have held their value better in the market during the COVID period. So, yes, I do think that while we may not yet be able to uh, demonstrate causation with data, um, correlation is definitely clear. So that's really interesting um, because it seems that many people didn't anticipate this particular risk and the ESG programs and processes that were in place weren't designed, you know, to address a global pandemic, but mm-hmm. they're, op- they're operating in that way. Would you agree with yeah. that? I would. I think there is a mindset component to this when you when you're thinking about systemic risks that 
may impact your business model, your company, your employees, and that's just part of your enterprise risk management functions approach, I think that companies are more likely to be able to know how to think about something. It may be something new and different. They can say, well, this is a different type of animal, but I have thought about these risk animals before, which gives me speed to change what needs to change in order to weather an unanticipated storm. I know that you know your goal is that we accelerate the integration of ESG factors into business mm-hmm. strategy, and mm-hmm. that's been your work for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Many organizations are now convinced, from my vantage point, that it is mm-hmm. the right thing to do, but mm-hmm. they don't know when to start. And drawing upon your decades of expertise in this area, what are what are concrete steps that companies can make to integrate ESG into strategy? I think one thing that I see a lot is concern or anxiety about a lot of external perceived pressures to disclose, disclose, disclose. While that reaction is not unreasonable, given as many of us in the field are aware, the multiplicity of various reporting frameworks and standards, the different and sometimes conflicting demands for data, that can pressure individuals who are tasked with this responsibility to go into a reactive frame of mind. And what I would really encourage people to do is sort of take the clean lights off of disclosure. Disclosure is is an output after you've done the difficult, challenging, sometimes thinking about why are you doing this. So I would start with examining what your business purpose is. Why are you here? As an example, there's a particular outdoor company, uh, outdoor products company that had as their purpose enabling people to enjoy the outdoors. They knew why they were here and who they served. And products can evolve over time to respond to that purpose. But once you know that purpose, you develop a business strategy to deliver on your purpose then you can start to identify the ESG issues that are most relevant or pose the greatest challenges to you executing on your business strategy. I I do think that being clear about your purpose and why you are seeking to integrate ESG into your approach to business, those things need to be firm and established first so that you can, over time, deliver the type of high-quality and relevant disclosure that investors and other external stakeholders are looking for. So always go to the heart of the matter and, and start with why you're here and what you're trying to do before jumping, I think, to disclosure and communication. I couldn't agree more about the value of corporate purpose. And you'll be happy to know that that's where we started our journey in this course. And purpose is step one, and Mm -hmm. disclosure is sort of the last step. And then Mm -hmm. there's intermediary steps. So There are. Can you walk us through some of those? Absolutely. So let's say part you know your rationale, you've identified your key issues. Next step is sort of do a pressure test 
uh, of those key issues you've identified with your various stakeholders. Identify who your stakeholders are, figure out who's a priority based on their needs and your resources that you have to dedicate. You can't do everything. Once you've done that pressure test, you're ready to finalize your strategic framework, which, which gives you the pathway to how you're going to integrate. At that point, I think it makes sense to start looking at what you're already doing. Many companies find that once they have clarity on their thought process, they look around the company and say, hey, oh gosh, we're already doing a lot with in, in employee health and safety. We're already doing a lot with you know, sourcing of ingredients. So sort of map what you're doing already against your strategic framework so you don't reinvent the wheel on anything that's already happening. You should then implement your framework, uh, establish accountabilities around the company and the functions where the various initiatives should be executed. Finally, you need to monitor your progress against those priorities through data collection and oversight of the data quality. And it's at that point that you can start uh, working on your disclosure and your other communications to stakeholders. So that's, that's really um, the, the process that I have developed for myself and in advising others over my career. That is such a clear articulation of the different steps of the sustainability or the ESG process. Thank you so much for that. I'd, I'd like to stop at one of the steps, which is accountability. What, what are just ways that companies can ensure that they are staying accountable to the mm -hmm. goals and the KPIs, key performance mm -hmm. indicators that mm -hmm. they articulate? At least at the start, as with, with, with any initiative, whether it's ESG or not, uh, corporate leadership needs to be well-informed and in a way that enables them to be supportive of what it is that those tasked with integrating ESG are doing. So I have often seen a multifunctional senior level committee formed to advise those on the ground with strategy development and monitor progress over time so that strategic adjustments can be made as needed. That group may meet, I've seen quarterly work very well. And then from that quarterly cycle, you can then integrate into has been designated as having oversight of ESG. ESG touches almost every point in a company. It may be from its you know, significant issues, a greater responsibility for procurement, for example, in a food and beverage company. Um, but having that multifunctional senior level group that meets regularly and has a specified agenda, I think is fundamental to ensuring that accountabilities remain and are executed on in complex organizations. How much movement and evolution have you seen in compensation being tied to ENS metrics? You know, I still think in the United States, it is a minority practice. What I have seen anecdotally is some integration of, uh, for example, diversity and inclusion metrics. One example would be embedding in an annual performance plan a requirement to have a specified number of diverse candidates on slate for roles at specific levels of the company. So that's a good example of 
what I'm seeing emerge as what I would call a social metric. Uh, on the environmental side, companies like Chevron and other oil and gas companies have begun to integrate emissions and carbon targets that actual quantitative targets into their performance plans. I believe, although I'm not conversant in this, um, that this is happening with greater speed in the EU as as they develop their sustainability taxonomy. So we'll see. It'll be quite interesting. I know that, and we've all heard and, and watched what's happening with executive compensation in the face of COVID. And, and as that plays out, I think we will gain more clarity on the extent to which and how specific ESG metrics can be incorporated into executive performance plans. That's a really astute observation with respect to executive compensation being very much in the spotlight, um, mm -hmm. given how hard hit workers have been mm. in the COVID crisis. And do you think that because of that, executive compensation in general is going to get more attention from the board and we may see more ENS metrics being incorporated? I can't say for sure, but I, I do think, you know, compensation has been front and center for investors for quite some time and obviously extreme focus on executive compensation in the wake of the financial crisis. What I am thinking about in my own mind is where policy will go in terms of pandemic management on global health, on food security, and whether indirectly companies that need to make adjustments to their business strategy to recognize these policy initiatives, whether they, and, and any related regulation, and whether that may result in boards incorporating different and more ESG-oriented metrics into compensation planning. Interesting. This will be a really interesting development to watch. I wanted to step back a bit and ask mm -hmm. you such breadth of experience. And I wanted to ask you, do you see a common theme with respect to companies that are just or organizations that are just starting on their ESG journey? And what common themes do you see at companies at that stage? And have they surprised you? I don't think they've surprised me. I just want to hearken back a little bit to the sense of push to go into a reactive mode. I think that because the market is almost like a primordial soup in terms of data and organization and intermediaries who collect and create ratings, this can really seem overwhelming. Um, particularly for, you know, small and mid-cap companies who may not have the same access to resources as, as larger companies. One thing that I can suggest on that front is to, you know, it's good to be fast. It's better to be right. Take the resources that you have, do what you can, and do it well. If, for example, a smaller mid-cap company is taking a look at standards from the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board that apply to their industry, they may say, you know what, out of these five, this one is our number one. There may be a number two and a number three, but 
let's just work on number one now and develop an incremental plan for reporting more broadly. But, you know, let's, let's pace this out. <laughs> um, it's okay to have a longer term plan and investors and other stakeholders, I, my gut is that they will appreciate, you know, less will be more in that case because quality pursuit of quality and delivery of quality that grows over time is more valuable than trying to cover all the bases without having done that fundamental thinking about why we're doing this and what's most important now, if that's useful. That's very sound advice, and that also underscores that sustainability or ESG is a process or a business strategy as opposed to a number of discrete issues from climate change to board diversity, let's say. Heidi, I always like to end the ESG beat with a magic wand and a crystal ball. So let's start with the magic wand, which is what changes would you advise companies to make now? The first thing I would recommend, um, and this really does relate to the pandemic that we're undergoing, is to take a fresh look at what the organization thinks its ESG priorities are. Uh, COVID has caused some industries to experience ESG risks that were six months ago not considered important for that industry. Let's take uh, retail, for example. Um, a sales clerk at a clothing store was not considered an employee at high risk for health and safety issues compared to an employee at um, an auto manufacturing company. That has completely changed for retail. Uh, exposure to, in, to large groups of people now is a concern. So that's just an example of revisiting metrics for or priorities to determine what's new and different. I also think that uh, the push and pull between various objectives will also change. So you might see waste management goals becoming more difficult to achieve because much uh, personal protective equipment has to be disposed of and can't be recycled. On the other hand, uh, with reduced commuting, you may see it become easier to achieve uh, carbon emissions reduction goals. Uh, so just doing a COVID screen of ESG priorities, I think, um, is an important change that, that companies should, should consider. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of things that I see that are going to happen, uh, number one, that the process or development that we are already seeing in terms of enhanced board oversight of ESG, I am guessing will likely accelerate as a result of COVID, which, you know, I view as probably the primary S issue of our generation. So I think, I, I think that will, that progress or um, development will, will continue to uh, be implemented across the private sector. But number three, and, and this may be the, the most significant thing that I see potentially coming out of 
the pandemic, and that is an assessment of what type of leadership the private sector needs today. And I think there are two major questions that people will be asking. When you think about employees, we saw instances of employee activism on ESG issues prior to COVID. Um, We see some of it now in, in the form of expressing concerns about one's health and safety in the workplace. So I think empathy of leadership with employee concerns about how we work now will be a very valuable attribute for CEOs and other senior executives as well as boards. And in addition, you know, given that fewer people are likely to be physically present together working, I think that the ability to work in a much more networked fashion as opposed to a, a more hierarchical model will also be a significant business attribute and skill that companies will will pursue and may be a form of training that HR departments may start to implement because that ability to network across distance will be fundamental to maintaining or accelerating productivity in a very different working environment. I think the questions and the and the changes for the type of leadership we need now may be some of the most important ESG questions coming out of the COVID crisis. That is such a nuanced and fascinating perspective, which doesn't surprise me given how much experience you have thinking about these issues and helping companies navigate these issues. Heidi, we are so grateful for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.